Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with songwriter, record producer and bass player Samuel Dixon. Samuel has produced and written with artists including Adele, Sia, Kylie Minogue, Christine Aguilera, Paloma Faith and Jack Savaretti. Before we get to the conversation, I'd just like to play you a bit of this. It's my new song, A Lover or a Friend, which is only available to download and stream on Bandcamp. I've chosen Bandcamp because I feel they're the best streaming site and they've also done a lot to help artists during the pandemic. Find more information about this song and the other projects that I'm working on at robertlanemusic.co.uk. Thank you. Lover or a friend Someone to tell your lies to now That the night has grown so cold A keepsake or a lamp It makes no difference to you now But your heart has been I'm on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. Thank you. Hi Sam, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm well as well. Excellent. I'm well as well. Both well. <laughs> yes. How has the last year treated you? Um, we all know <sighs> what I mean. <laughs> how how has yeah. that been for you personally and for your line of work as well? How different have it's, things been this year? I mean, it's been very different um, for everyone. You know, obviously, you know, my partner and I, we've got a little two-year-old boy and he's daycare shut and my partner has a real job um so i ended up doing quite a chunk of sort of child minding which was which was absolutely incredible and you know equal parts amazing and exhausting and you know we were lucky in that he's not of school age so we didn't have to deal with the homeschooling thing but to suddenly go from being you know um a pretty selfish musician as far as you do what you want when you want to you know basically no you're you know which is part of being a parent anyway but you know my my days were suddenly about how can we make the back cave out of this dining table and chairs and bed linen um and then three minutes later having to think of something else to do as opposed to you know sitting sitting around in a studio sort of doing doing normal song music related stuff um so i mean it it was definitely a a lot of time with my son which was amazing but um i was also lucky enough that i was in a position where 
before lockdown hit properly, um, when was it, like March 2020, I guess, I was midway through a couple of projects with a couple of different artists and both of those were at a point where I was able to kind of just crack on remotely and, and you know, I guess so many kind of writer-producers now, a, a lot of, you know, there's so much autonomy as far as doing a lot of stuff yourself um, and I think lockdown forced that hand even even more, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was it was juggling kind of time with the boy and then, you know, the first few months I wasn't coming into the studio as well because that just didn't feel right you know so i was working from home a bit um but it's it's interesting it kind of it kind of made me realize that i really enjoy working by myself as well (laughs) there's an you know obviously the songwriting part is brilliant and i was really lucky when the lockdown kind of eased first time around in the summer um there was an artist i worked with quite regularly and i was going over to his house in oxfordshire sort of once a week Mm which were like my first kind of outings, you know, and it was, it was an amazing, it was like an amazing day trip and we'd sit in his garden and A, I'd see other human beings beside my family, B, get to do some work and C, you know, at that point anything was feeling like a holiday, you know, rather than not being at home. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, of course the writing part, the collaboration is so important and so on, but I, I, I realised that I really enjoy having extra time just to sit and tinker by myself, which when there's more sessions happening, you maybe don't have quite as much time to do that if you're trying to get through demos quicker, like a larger mm-hmm. quantity of demos, um, you know, because you're, you, you're trying to finish them all to a certain standard as well. Whereas, I don't know, I felt like when I was, the first part of lockdown was tiered towards finishing stuff that already existed and then a, a, a bit of writing over the summer. And then I had a few months of just being able to sit with fewer songs but actually craft the production side of it a little bit more and, and work a bit more on that, which I, re- I really enjoyed. And, you know I, know, I know a lot of people were doing the Zoom songwriting thing yeah. where you kind of – and, uh, yeah, I – I didn't have great success for that, especially, you know, where, where it did work where it was where it was with people I knew already and had an existing sort of creative dialogue with. And, you know, you could you could sort of get on, do what we're doing, have a chat and both disappear for a couple of hours, work on something and come back on and play each other or, you know. Yeah. But the having a video call with someone you've never met before trying to navigate all of that and then trying to write a song on top of that. And, I mean, you know, an awkward silence in the room is bad enough, let alone on a video, you know. It's, yeah, it's like, absolutely. You can have a cup so, of tea, though, in the room. <laughs> what's, what's that? You could have a cup of tea if you're in the room together. No, this is it. Yeah, no. Yeah. And, and, yes, so much of, of this, the songwriting process is getting to know someone and, getting, you know, trying to have them feel comfortable and and safe in this environment where you can try things and, you know, it's, it's a little bit therapy, it's a little bit kind of, you know, there's a lot to sort of navigate. And, yeah, doing that over a video call just was, I don't know, I, I didn't, I just didn't click. So, um, and I know a lot of people in the same boat, so they just sort of stopped effectively writing with new people over over video because it just wasn't working you know conversely a lot of people did just crack on and and got a lot of good stuff done but yeah i i much prefer the 
getting to know someone, you kind of become friends and hang out and then it sort of depressurizes the, the writing process as well. And so you just, if something happens, great. If it doesn't, you, you know, you're going to be seeing them again in a week, two weeks or whatever. Yeah. And where it's like, we have a three hour video call to change the course of history. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, I don't know. And, and I guess as well, you know, not just professionally, but I think the last 12 months has made a lot of people just reevaluate what they're actually doing with their lives and, and how they spend their time. And because, you know, I guess it's that thing of like when you suddenly don't have all of the liberties and freedoms that you've always had, definitely shines a bit of a light on like, God, was I, did I really just used to spend my time eating burritos, watching Netflix? Like, you know, it was like, <laughs> which is obviously an essential pastime, but I, I don't know. It, 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 I guess the last four months has also made me kind of a bit more, focused as far as what I do want to spend my time on mm. work-wise creatively, but also how important that time with your family is as well and what an amazing opportunity that was. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a, a horrible year, but it's also been pretty great in some ways as well, you know, with like, and not, you know, I know how fortunate I am to be able to say that because it's, it's been horrific for, for many, many people. So, but Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Is it's just the difference for people, even within the same job. So, like musician friends that I've got, so people who their their main thing is is gigging and touring and playing hundreds of shows. Who I've always oh looked God. at quite jealously, like, oh, I wish yeah. I could play that many shows. This year, it's like they've suddenly had to find some other things to do. And I guess if you were if you were already doing production, songwriting, tutoring, all the other things that musicians do, I suppose it's been a little bit easier for those of us who do that than. Yeah, people were normally jealous of because they get to do oh the real God. thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the I mean, just horrific for the live industry. Like every, you know, merch people, production managers, tour managers, sound engineers, you know, backing musicians, like it, lighting technicians, like just just that whole part of the industry just decimated. You know, and not, and obviously none of these tours had pandemic insurance. Like no one, you know, um, and yeah, I mean. I, you know, hopefully just when things can go back, it'll be bigger than ever before because people's appetite for that, yeah. you know, realising they've not been able to see any gigs for a year or go and hear live music and um, hopefully there'll just be a, a huge boom in the industry and that demand of people just wanting to actually get out and do things and see and hear things. But, yeah, horrible, horrible people's lives just, you know, and yeah horrific so yeah again, again you know same as you're saying i've got a lot of friends who that's their world they're reliant on the touring industry for their you know or got families and bills to pay and all that's just yeah really really horrible yeah you'd mentioned that sort of remote writing then and you said that the one-on-one in the zoom thing's tricky i've tried a bit of it as well it, it's great until you try and sing together obviously so, yeah. let's yeah. let's work out a harmony <laughs> oh we can't that's impossible yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I know my time isn't that good, but is it is it really that bad? <laughs> like, yeah, that's the thing, especially, yeah, that very traditional. It's one thing if you're just sending someone a track idea mm-hmm. and then they can go away and mess around over the top of it and then you can have like a conversation about what the melody is or what the lyrical content is or where it's going. But if you're doing the very traditional organic method of songwriting of you and me sitting here with a piano or a guitar, and just kind of playing together and like, yeah, it's like, that's just gone. 
And I know, you know, there are there are really clever bits of audio streaming software you, where you can send someone like super high res mm. what you're what you're hearing from your speakers, they can hear. But it's still it's still you know it's not the same. And also, you know, I, I really my my favorite songwriting ones are where the computer doesn't even get turned on. Mm. So you know, I, I love to have a, just the screen off in a songwriting session, so you can just totally focus. You know, if it's that sort of thing. You want to be able to just sit and play it out and talk and react to each other rather than just like both staring at a screen and watching like a linear progression of blobs of audio moving around. I don't know. That's a real distraction, I think. But, but you know, the, obviously modern songwriting, a lot of it is production-driven as well, if, you know, so that, that, that can be part of it too. But, yeah, I, I much prefer the, the organic kind of, how are we feeling today? You know, <laughs> <laughs> approach. And within those sessions, then I guess it's interesting if, if you're if you're talking about the ideal being hanging out with someone for a while and then and then sort of organically doing something. If you're with someone for a few hours, say if you know them already, would you be looking for a complete song or a, a verse or a chorus from that, or is it literally like we've got a hook today? That's great. Yeah, it varies. It varies. Like. <laughs> And, and I, th- I, th- I think it's. I, I feel like it's more about making, just removing any kind of pressure as far as like we're in. We have to get something today. Like yeah. just removing that kind of time restriction of like. Um, and you know, th- there is something to be said about the discipline of like, okay, by five o'clock we need a verse and a chorus, and you know, but I find I don't know. I I find the best. I mean, often, yeah, often you get something that just lands in your lap and it's like, wow, where did that come from? And we've got something done in three hours and great, see you later. But, um, and there are people that I work with because, you know, and there is like, you know, we'll get together, you know, this one one artist we've quite a bit, he always wants to eat before we do anything. So we'll go get lunch first and then we come in and invariably we'll get, you know, we'll get something that day and we'll be done. Very rarely are we like, oh, we still need a second verse or something. But mm. I, I, I would much rather... Especially with if it's with someone for the first time, if we've not worked together before, I'd much rather have a successful hang and a cup of tea and a good chat than like four hours of like maybe getting an okay chorus, but like just sitting in silence for a lot of the time. And you know, like, so I, I feel like when it's when it's more of like a social thing that just makes the creative side of it kind of easier. But, you know, invariably, and also I think there's something to be said for giving a song the space of, like, you know, you might finish something that day, but then, like, being able to, like, not listen to it for a week, two weeks, a month, hear it again and be like, wow, that's that's really good, but we didn't quite get the verse or that that does need a middle eight or, you know, being able to actually give giving a song the space to be able to come back and revisit and tweak rather than like, here's someone never met before, 12 to 6, there's your song, see you later. And, and, you know, and I just don't, the odds of that actually, A, being good, but also B, coming to anything, it, it's greatly reduced, I think, than if it was like part of an ongoing process and, you know, you need to be able to just step. And also, I don't know, it's hard to evaluate work, I think, without a bit of distance from it sometimes. I, I've really enjoy being able to like revisit things a month or two later and be like wow okay i don't know i find sometimes i can have a bit of a clearer 
overall vision of like where we could take mm-hmm. this or what needs doing or you know. Well, but it, like you know, but the, yeah, there is no hard. I don't know about you, but yeah, I feel like there's no hard or fast rule as far as I, th- I feel like you kind of get what you get and don't get upset about it if you don't get anything. Because there's days where you won't. There's days where you'll get absolutely nothing, and you might just watch stupid YouTube videos or that, you know. But that's, you know, that's that's part of it, and part the great thing about having a regular working relationship with someone is like you know that won't. Mm. That's not not the end of it. That's not it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it is it because it's part of the the totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. There's that thing as well. It's like there's the brain. You know. Yes, we think we're all working. You know, I can't remember. Was it Malcolm? Is it Malcolm Gladwell? The tipping point. Or, or, oh, do you yeah. Know? yeah, And he talks about the eureka moment and how people think it's like I've worked out gravity, or I've worked, you know, and it's like this light bulb comes on, and it, it might feel like that's happening in an instant. You suddenly worked it out, but it's actually year, months, and years and decades of the brain subconsciously because you've been thinking about it and like all these little pathways being explored and cul-de-sacs and you turn around, you come the other way, you know, the brain is just constantly kind of like doing all this creative mechanical stuff in the background. So you might be in a songwriting session, but unbeknownst to you, you know, a lyric might come to you that you might have thought of three years before or or something, you you know what I mean? It's it's like it's all accumulative of like what you've been ingesting, you know, um, culturally and, socially and, and you know those songwriting sessions they're almost like a little portal gets opened into your entire life of sponging stuff and then like something gets squeezed out and it might be terrible it might be good but it's yeah it's a bit like james bond always happens to have the right gadget for that particular film yeah he, but he does have an excellent support crew i think <laughs> you know it's you know. but he's, he's always got the gadget he's going to end up needing in that film it's never like oh uh, the attaché suitcase is no good for this one because I need to go deep water diving. It's yeah. always oh, yeah. handy. That's the right one at the right time. <laughs> so it's like if I've learned some new technique on guitar or something, it's like, oh, that's a song there. But I wouldn't have been able to right. write that song if I hadn't done that thing or if I hadn't, right. you know, watched that video about Marcus Aurelius or whatever it is. I wouldn't have that idea for a lyric, which, you know, just happens right. to have happened yesterday. Totally. Totally. Yeah, and, and, and that's why I think it's so important as well to, like, just, like, always be, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I love trying to learn, like, new things or get better at certain things. Or like, and I, I feel like that really feeds in to what I do. And, and you know, so the, a few years ago, I got, you know, I'm, I'm a bass player originally and sort of got into bands playing bass and session work being a bass player and... um. And I, th- I think the best thing I've ever done for my bass playing and and just general kind of musicality and, and was like actually becoming obsessed with the guitar a few years ago and mm. kind of, you know, mm. diving head on into that and, and, you know, rediscovering a real passion for an instrument in, in, a, in a kind of like obsessive teenage kind of way of like what I was when I started playing bass when I was 13, 14. And that it's it's been so great, but it's just so nice to have, it's so, you know, we get so busy with our lives and, and what we do. It's so easy to forget that we need to have passions and interests and, and things that kind of like we can dive into. And, and, you know, you, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And 
I just and yeah, it's all satellite stuff that feeds back directly into what you're trying to do. I think you know. So um, yeah, I I could probably drove my partner mad with it, but yeah, for you know, we'd go on holidays. The guitar would be there. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! But you know, it was great. It was great, and I feel like that's something. You know, I'm not like some insane. I mean, you know, I'm nowhere near the guitarist that many of my friends are, but I feel like now I can comfortably you know, record stuff on, onto my productions that I'm doing or like, you know, and, and it's much, you know, it's much more exciting for a songwriting session for me to be sitting with a guitar in my hand for the other person than a bass, you know, as great as a bass is, but, you know, it's, it's a different kind of thing. Um, and, and that's true of like, you know, the last sort of 18, 18 months, two years, I've really become like focused on mixing and trying to get my stuff sounding better, you know, invariably, most of my work ends up being mixed by someone else. But I certainly feel like, you know, these days people expect demos, inverted commas, to sound like finished records, you know. And, and um, I've been lucky enough to a co-writer I work with regularly. He's an incredible mix engineer as well. So just kind of watching him over his sh- shoulder the last sort of couple of years and then, you know, having not been afraid to ask questions and sort of, how did you do that? Why did you do that? Or, or, you know, if I'm in my room by myself being like, oh, this sounds, what do I need to do? And just being able to like quickly shoot him an email. I was like, what setting should this DS I have? Or like, you, you know, like things like that. It's just, I love it. And that's kind of, you know, that stuff that's not, might not feel like it's part of what you do or part of the work, but it actually ends up all helping and, and adding to it. Like, I think that's so important because then it feels like you're not just working all the time either. It feels like, oh, wow, I'm actually, this is an interest. I'm learning something new. I'm trying something out here. And, um, I don't know. I think it's really important to find little things like that and keep it, keep going, like never stop doing that stuff, I think, you know. Because mm. as a subject, you know, all of this, there's you never finish, do you? <laughs> With no. music or the bass or recording or any of it, no. there's it's all a lifetime study. So if you're doing several of them, then. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like a video game. You get to the boss level. It's like you have mastered bass. <laughs> you have completed the guitar. Bass. Slap bass technique complete. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, got and and got you know super lucky that you know in a position where where I can sort of focus on those things and have the time to kind of try and get better at that stuff as well. Have you had points then? So when you're like a, a working bass player touring with people when you're producing people when you're writing for a job has there mm. been points where it's like i'm only doing music for work and i'm you know you've got to remind yourself that you're supposed to like it as well have you had those moments i've i've been really 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 lucky in and i think uh, you know it's 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 a combination of luck but also being quite sort of steadfast as far as what I say yes and, and no to, you know. I think early on there's a definitely a bit of like I was young and needed the money a couple yeah. of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, a few of things I might have done. Yeah, absolutely. You know. But but um that's part of like, you know, at 18, 18, 17, 18, you're just wow, you're gonna pay me I'm you're gonna pay me to play bass with you. Like, you know, like that it's so but um no, I'm really lucky. You know, I when it feels like a job is like, you know, say we're touring and you're like you finished a gig, you get on the bus 
and you drive nine hours overnight to the next town and it's minus 16 degrees and you get there and you have a shower in the hockey arenas, you know, bathroom and then you spend the next nine hours waiting for sound checks, sitting in a horribly lit dressing room with some hummus and... You know that 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 feels like what like the the touring part, the gigging side is easy. The work part is easy. The work there is like being away from your loved ones, the bad food, the you know the the in travel, the the hotel lobbies. But you know it, that's really hard. But also, I miss it. Ter- I miss that terribly. Like <laughs> you know, like um, but. I think it's more, I've not had questions of moments where I've been like, oh, this feels like hard work. It's, I've had definitely had moments where not so much, but, you know, maybe 15 before I moved to London and definitely when I first moved to London, I've got to, you know, is this the right move? Can I actually start a family and sustain myself and, and you know, is this a really sensible thing to be doing? I've definitely had moments like that, you know, Um and who's to say that that won't ever happen again? You know, this year has shown us that anything is is possible and kind of mm. you can't count on anything. But, um, yeah, I've, I've had more kind of existential sort of like, is this the right thing to be doing with my life? Yeah, life stuff. Yeah, definitely, um, which I think is true of anyone, you know, be it in the creative field or, you know, a, 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 you know, a straight-up profession or... Um, I th- yeah, but also I think that's kind of healthy to kind of reevaluate and question and sort of you know. But yeah, yeah, I've I've just been insanely lucky, insanely lucky with you know people I've met throughout the years who've helped me and and sort of mentored me or steer me in the right direction or or stuck by me when things haven't been going great or you know it's it's you know and I think that again that that kind of ties into what I was saying before about having a, you know a. F- a solid relationship with someone socially that helps the creative side. Mm. I think just in general, like that makes such a difference career wise as well. If you're surrounded by people that you love and trust and kind of who are all on a similar sort of path as well, or a bit further along or a bit behind and they can offer advice or you can help people out as well. Or, you know, I think, you know, it's so easy to look at the end product you know, a song coming out or an album coming out or something is like, that's what we're doing. That's what it's actually not. That stuff is actually like the cream or, or like byproduct of being a musician or being a songwriter yeah. or, yeah. you know, it's been able to like actually do this and somehow get your bills paid. And then everything else that kind of happens along the way is, is amazing and, and a luxury. I think, you know, um, more so than ever, I think, the, you know, the industry is so different now to what it was even 10 years ago um, and compounded even more by this year and the, sort of the, the complete removal of live stuff. I but, think that would be really interesting for people listening in to hear potentially. It's the idea of those of us who are independent musicians can think about radio plays and, you know, how successful in inverted commas a particular thing is. But again, if you just think about why we're doing this stuff, it's hopefully because we really love it. So we like yeah. writing songs and we like making music. So if we get to do that, then that's it, isn't it? Plus anything totally. else is outside of our control, really. So there's not right. much point kind of getting too upset about it. 
Yeah. No, you cannot legislate for any form of success or, you know, like you can, you can, and I think you can't chase it either because if you do, you just end up being miserable or like, you know, and you're not doing it for the right reasons then I think, you know, obviously, yeah, we all want to do well, but if you spend your day like analysing other things, why they're successful, then trying to imitate that or chasing that or only working with people that you think will kind of, it's just, it's just such, you you know, you're missing out on all the fun stuff a lot of the time, you know. Um, and also I think you've, you've, you know, you've got to go for, there's a reason why we each individually love certain things musically or artists. It's like, you know, I, and if you can work out what those things are, you know, like a certain style of bass, someone's bass playing or like Noel Rogers' guitar playing, like what, why do you love that work, you know, I think there's because there's maybe it's it's obviously triggering something in you or it's making something resonate in you. So it's like we should probably go and work out, A, how to try and do that a little bit, but B, like don't be afraid to like take those elements and then put them into what you're doing because and then it'll kind of morph into your thing, you know, like it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. That's a bit hippy-dippy, but I, I feel like there's a reason that things resonate with us. And if we, you know, it's really easy for us to know when we like something, but it's harder for us to know why or what those elements are. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you can find those things and then sort of bring them into your own work somehow or study them and bring them in a bit, it'll it'll morph. I don't know. It'll kind of focus you on what your thing is a bit more, so if that makes any sense. Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, because um, you don't always know, do you? Why is it that you like that band, but that other right. band that is actually really should be really similar on paper? You just can't get into it; it doesn't do it for you. And yeah. I guess it's alchemy. But if you can try and sort of try and rationalise that, I think it's quite handy. What I found more recently is starting out. You know, if someone says, "Oh, that sounds a bit like so and so," you remind them it's it is something that you like. You're a bit like you, you want to try and right. hide those things as if you're copying stuff. But then yeah. as you go on, it's like no, run towards it because that's the stuff you got you interested in the first place. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And and I think it's quite common you'll hear with younger artists, like you know, you might hear someone is like, "Oh gosh, they really sound like Bjork or something," you know, but it's also because they might be 17 or 18 and they're really wearing their influences on their sleeves, but give them a few years and it'll turn into something else. And I think, yeah, you're less inhibited when you're younger, I think, with that feeling that you just described because you're just like, I love this. This is amazing. I want to be like this. I want to, you know, and it's in doing that and swallowing those things up and kind of ingesting them yeah, and, yeah, it morphs into some weird thing of you, you know. I think it's so important. Um, and, yeah, and it's easier to do when you're younger, I think, because you're, you're just you're not as hung up or you're not as worried about what other people think, and you know, which also goes when you get older as well, but, it, you know. It's the, it's, there's a danger in knowing stuff, isn't there? It's like Totally, yeah. In, like, being very clever and, and knowing music and knowing, you know whatever it is and you can get very jaded too so even just as a gigging musician i've had those experiences where i'm really excited at a gig because i do like the sort of folky singer songwriter circuit in the main yeah. and i've had those just like a songwriter's round this is great we're all talking about songwriting and then there'll be some really miserable 
60-year-old who's dead bitter because it didn't go the way they wanted it to. And yeah. just kind of mo- like sort of shits on the whole thing. <laughs> and it's right. like, no, but we're still here playing our songs. That's good, isn't it? But yeah. it's, it's again, it's tying it up with with work, isn't it? Which, do you know what I mean? Like the, the difference between this is successful because it pays the bills or this is successful because it's a nice song. If it, if it matches, totally. that's fantastic. But it's not necessarily the same thing, I suppose. No, no. And, and you know, that, you know, that guy you're describing who was miserable and kind of, that's that's like what he's described. It, it, it not working out. That's the norm. Yeah, things don't work out. Like they just don't. And if they do, it's an absolute miracle. And you have to you have to basically act like, well, that was amazing, and that's never going to happen again. You know. And then if it does, it's lightning struck twice. But I think if if you're if you're pegging your sense of worth on what you've inverted commas achieved kind of like you know success wise commercially or whatever it's just it's such a slippery slope i think you know and chances are it's not you know like i said before if you can be a musician now and it just exist and pay your bills and do what you're doing because you love it and that that is success now you know i really do think that like yeah so it's 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 tough. Like if you want, you know, go go and trade cryptocurrency if you want to make quick money. You know? It's like it's it's just that that's not the music industry anymore. It's not it's not about that. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's changed so much as well because you can, you know, if you've got a laptop now and a microphone, you've effectively got a studio. It's like you've got you know, and you've got the world's greatest reason. You've got all of the recorded music ever at your disposal at an instant you've got you know you know youtube which is just like you know if you want to i want to see miles davis playing in 1968 you just type in and there's like video of miles davis playing in 1968 if you want to you know how do i play the baseline from you know good times you you know there'll be you you'll type in and there'll be like 27 video lessons of how to play the but it's like the resource there now is just insane. So it's like, you know, before to learn those skills, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd have to be someone's assistant and be in a recording studio for 10 years making tea and coffee and, like, observing over people's shoulders and, be, you know, um, and to get a chance to record a song, you'd have to be discovered by a label, have them spend money on putting you in one of these expensive recording studios. For the day. It's just like it's completely... You know, it's 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 put any you know if, if you're lucky enough to have a computer and you can kind of have a go now if you've got the desire to do it, which is completely even even like ten years ago it wasn't really like it was starting to get like that, but it's it's amazing now, you know. Plus, you can communicate with people. I mean, that's right. from my point of view. From one of the one of the silver linings of of my pandemic has been that I know I've been able to speak to people for this who just would have been too busy before i mm. wouldn't have answered an email whatever and it's like because they got a bit of time and and right. I, I first started this at the end of 2019 and the idea of doing it remotely was a bit like oh no you got to be in the room with them but then it forces your hand so now when yeah. you contact someone we'll just assume it's going to be you know this remote. is it and this is the new normal now better. isn't it yeah and i think for all its disadvantages it must make you can work with anyone in the world or as you say if it's a relationship you've already got yeah we don't have to meet in the same room. We can chat and stuff over Zoom or whatever. It's 
it's it can only be for the good, can't it? It's never. It's like all other technology. It's not going to replace the real thing. I don't think. It's like the no. live stream concerts. They're never going to replace being at an actual gig. No. But it's a damn sight better than having nothing at all for all this exactly. Time. Exactly. Yeah, and I and I think, you know, uh, just not not even just music, like you know, off office work, things like that. You've pr- you know, this year has proven if you've got a good internet connection you can do your work anywhere. And I think that that's going to change how cities are and, you know, people commuting and like, why have I been getting on a tube for two hours a day to kind of, you know, I I guess, you know, obviously people miss the social interaction with with their co-workers and all the rest of it. And I think that's obviously got big mental health implications. But, you know, in in the same, at the same time, a lot of people have, they love just being at home and staying in their tracksuit and working as as hard as they normally would, but just in you know in the comfort of their own home. So yeah, it's it's weird. It is interesting what's going to happen now in the next five, ten years. I think how I can't see us going back to exactly how it was. No, I don't think so. It's just the time, isn't it? I know that people like working in the office or, or as you say, being around people, but the commute's got to be one of the worst part of most people's life hasn't it for 40 totally. years that just wasting that couple of hours a day yeah i guess a hybrid's going to work perhaps nicely for most people i don't know but just traveling across a, you know to a different city or to a different country just travel an hour-long meeting that's really right. just a waste of everyone's time isn't it and it's yeah, not very and, good for the planet and environmentally as well it's not ideal is yeah it? exactly I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask you if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it, and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows the people are listening. Thank you. Um, Sam, I wonder if you could sort of um, give us a bit of a... A potted history, if you would, of how you got from from where you started to the point you are now, where you're producing and writing songs with people and playing bass. For, you know, what what was the kind of road that led you there? Um, so I I grew up was born and grew up in Adelaide, Australia, and um, you know, I was into music from a very young age, and you know. But neither of my parents, it wasn't a musical household, but there was always sort of good music on the stereo. And it was, you know, it was a a music interested house, you know, it wasn't, but there wasn't much creating going on. But um, I think I'd shown early on as a toddler and stuff, I was quite receptive to Glenn Campbell and things like that on the stereo. Um, So I got scootled off to piano lessons reasonably early, sort of around six or seven. And, di- and enjoyed that. Um, and then when I was about 13, you know, and, but at, and was learning sort of studying classical music, but around the age, I guess, eight or nine, just really started falling in love with being in the car and what was on the radio, listen, you know, which was 80s pop music, which was, you know, at that, that it was happening at that time, yeah. you know, which just sounded like, it was just so exciting. It sounded like the future, like hearing the Eurythmics for the first, you know, like these new instruments and like, it was just, it was so exciting. And um, I just was like, you know, how, what's, what's, how can I do some of this? And, and, you know, I remember there was like in Adelaide, there's this thing called the Royal Adelaide show, which is like a, 
it's like a big carnival and there's like farming and there's you know log chopping and there's cooking and it's like you know it's just a big and there's rides and all the rest of it but invariably there'd be a um you know a, a trade hall and there'd be like new instruments to be like the synthesizer you know <laughs> and there was um at the time that song i must have been 10 i think it was that song iou by freeze and i remember in the video the guy had like a guitar like one of the uh Mm-hmm. And they had one of these red keytars at the, and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And clearly, you know, I was not getting that keytar, but <laughs> I, 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 you know, I had a real interest in the instruments and the sounds that they made, sort of that age. And then around, I was getting more and more interested in pop music and, and sort of contemporary songs. And my piano teacher was very, she was great, but she was very classical, 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 and was not interested in showing me any of that stuff. And around that time, around sort of 13, um, I sort of tweet. I was my, my first year high school and there were like three or four bands going at the school. So like, you know, a jazz band, a concert band. And then there was like a couple of like the students just had a few, there was like a rock thing or whatever. And I realized that it was just one bass player in all of these bands that was doing all of these things. And he was in his, he was in year 12, he was in his final year of high school. I was like, man, if I, if I could play the bass, so there's a little window here for me to kind of get in on. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I convinced, you know, my parents to get me a very shoddy bass guitar and I was really lucky. There was a, an incredibly good, fantastic guy who was to, to talk guitar and bass at the school who's Brit, who would like make mixtapes and kind of like, why do you like this? Okay, great. Let's learn, let's learn oh, this cool. song by this minute. You know, it was it was so good, and he'd like you know we'd he'd organise jam sessions with the other students after school sometimes, and like it was just it was so so great, and um, really enjoyed that. And you know, so I sort of stopped the piano lessons and just started focusing on you know the the bass side of things. And then you know, it feels like forever, but you know, from year eight to year twelve is it goes so quickly you know it's like you when you're in it at that age obviously time goes so slowly and the difference between a 13 year old and a 17 year old is is vast obviously but in that period I kind of realized like wow like imagine imagine getting on a plane with your bass guitar and going to Melbourne to do a gig like can you imagine how amazing that would be <laughs> um so I was like all right I'm gonna have a go at this and so finished high school and then I did a year at the Adelaide Conservatorium sort of doing Bachelor of Music with um, jazz studies. And it was great. I met some great people, some other musicians, but at the same time as doing that, I was like doing a little bit of teaching um, and I was in a few sort of cover bands around town. There was a super healthy live scene back then, you know, um, I was delivering bread for a bakery a few mornings a week with my little band. But, oh, yeah, it was good. It was good. But I realised, you know what, I'm actually learning more doing the gigs and playing with different people than I was sort of at, at, at the, mm-hmm. the conservatorium. So I, instead of enrolling for second year, I thought I'm going to just take a year out and focus full-time on just playing and, you know, much to my mother's disappointment. I think she wanted me to do medicine anyway, so she was already disappointed. Um, and took a year out, and then in that year out, um, 
there was this is sort of back in the heady days of acid jazz so you know that was a real thing and fantastic if you were a rhythm section player because Mm. it was so focused on drums and bass and there was an incredible band from sydney called dig who would come to adelaide you know a few times a year and they're um yeah amazing drummer guy called terra pie richmond who's still acting you know active now just awesome um and you know met them being the the dorky teenager i was you know would hang around after gigs and talk to the band and and then you know maybe like the third visit they'd done that year um got chatting with the terra pie the drummer and he's like well you know our bass player's leaving to join this other band you should you should send a tape you should kind of you know and so at the time I was sort of working as a assistant for a guy who ran a, a music studio in Adelaide doing TV commercial music like jingles and so on and I'd like get his suits dry cleaned and spool reels of tape and <laughs> but so I was able to use the studio to make a demo you know wrote wrote a little bass featured acid jazz jam recorded the demo with my friends got some horribly cheesy photos taken, <laughs> wrote a letter or why, you know, why I should be in the band and sort of put this little portfolio together and then send it off and then, you know, thanks very much, we got it, you know, we'll be in touch and then just didn't hear anything. And then, you know, I, I think I just proceeded to leave, this is pre-internet, you know, pre-mobile phones, maybe birth of mobile phones, but, you know, everyone had answering machines at home on their landlines. And, um, yeah, I just think I just left voicemail messages for about three or four months to the point where when I did finally, you know, I ended up going to Sydney, auditioning, getting the gig and moving to Sydney to live to join the band at 19. But um, for a very long time when Scott, the sort of singer-keyboard player, would introduce me, he would say, and on bass, it's Sam Dixon from Adelaide because that's what I would say every single time I'd leave a message <laughs> on his It was like, hi, Scott, it's Sam Dixon from Adelaide. So, <laughs> but but um, it was amazing for me because it was, um, you know, at 19 years old, I joined this band and the week I joined, the their debut album came out and it was the first Australian bands to have their debut album debut at number one on the Australian charts. So I was like suddenly from playing in cover bands and delivering bread into like the number one band in Australia and like doing all the national TV shows and touring constantly and, and playing amazing music, you know, like funk jazz, you know, as a young dorky bass player, it's like, this is unbelievable, you know, improvising for an hour and a half, two hours each night with an incredible bunch of musicians going to places I've never been before. And then like after, you know, we did several European tours and, for three or four years, you know, like from 19 to like 23, 24, it was, I was just so lucky. Um, and that kind of was my, my start really. And then with the drummer, Terapai, we ended up getting used quite a bit as a sort of rhythm section in Sydney. So we'd end up playing on other people's albums. Um, and that kind of got me really interested in been in the studio and watching other producers work and and seeing how that all kind of, that side of it was working and um that you know it was different than as you know it, the way records were made then where you still had to go to like a, a studio and you know, the, pro, you know I th- yeah, I'm trying 
trying to remember the first time I saw a computer, like maybe 96 was the first time I saw a computer in a session mm. and we were recording to that instead of a tape machine. So like up to then it was still like go in and be able to play in time and like drop in on something if you made a mistake or, you know, it was a very different thing. But, um, uh, yeah, I just got, so, I just loved being in that environment. It was so exciting being in the studio and in the room and seeing all that stuff happen. So I was like, well, okay, this, this, I'd love to kind of do this maybe more than the touring side of stuff. Um, and then sort of the band kind of did its thing. And then I sort of was doing just more session work. And then I, like, I think the 24, 25, I went and lived in New York for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and was studying with a couple of different sort of jazz bass players there and living in tiny bedsits and going to gigs every night of the week. And it was amazing, but, you know, playing in bars for, for tips and doing all of that. And it was, it was an incredible experience, but I also was like, it, it, it was what it was. And I was like, okay, this is great, but this is, I don't want to spend the rest of my life sort of doing this. So I came back to Sydney and got back into session work. And at that point, a, f- a friend was like, you, sh- you know, you should get a laptop and I'll give you a copy of Logic and he's an instructional DVD and you should start messing around with this and kind of, you know. So, again, really lucky to have a great friend who did that for me. I mean, my God, the laptops then, this was like, like $8,000. It was insanely, I had to lease it, you know. It was like, yeah, and it's probably not even a quarter of as powerful as our phones are now, you know. Um, and just spent a year kind of tinkering and teaching myself how to program and, and messing around with logic and, you know, was was working with a couple of different bands in Sydney and, and I also had this guy who hooked me up with, with the log, logic and was convincing me to kind of, you know, focus on that. He had, uh, was kind of head composer at a studio called Albert's, which was his home of ACDC and, you know, um, that studio was doing a lot of commercial, like TV commercial music then. And so basically I got a little room, which is actually more like a closet, um, for free on the proviso that if he couldn't do a job, I would sort of compose for it. And I think I was there two years and maybe did one job. So effectively had this amazing free studio for a couple of years where I was just able to go and write and practice and do stuff. And then... um, one, sorry, you're getting a full. <laughs> no, it's very interesting. In uh, in the um, little cupboard, then. Sorry, just to pause you. In the little, yeah, it cupboard. was a cupboard. It was. A, it what was, was the gear a... then in the cupboard? Was they recording? I gear? I I just had I had a I had a microphone. I had my laptop. I had like a an ah. interface, okay. a MIDI controller. Um, you know, kind of like what a modern laptop studio is now, but it was it was a cupboard. It was it was I think it was like originally a, a computer storeroom or something like that, but. Um, we fashioned it into a, a studio, um, but it was it was great, and, and it was somewhere to go and work each day. It was like you're going here to do something, and you're not just messing around at home. You're going to a professional studio, and you know. Um, and then, so I've been doing that for about a year and a bit, and sort of gigging around Sydney and bits of session work and playing with different bands, and um. My friend Sia, who I'd known for you know for a long time, um, she'd been at this point she'd been living in London for six or seven years, and 
we'd I never well she's from Adelaide as well and I never knew her when I lived there but the band I was in that I moved to Sydney to join when we'd go back to play in Adelaide the band she was in there would do shows with us sometimes so we met then and became good friends um and then through the years I sort of you know there was a couple of times I came to London and sort of played with her a bit then and and you know did some shows and um but yeah really really good buddy and then she was back in Sydney one year for one Christmas and she's like what have you been doing and so I, I played her some stuff she's like well I've just signed a record deal I need to write some songs you want to write some songs I'm like okay um and it was that thing with just two friends hanging out you know and, and I'd never done I'd written before with the band I was in and I'd been writing by myself, just tinkering, making kind of instrumental sort of stuff, but I'd never actually sat down with a proper songwriter and written songs like that before. And we had this, I mean, she works so hard. Like, you know, when, when, when she, especially, you know, it, it, I don't know, we were just so <laughs> it was like, We'd go in, we would go in at like 10 in the morning and be there till two in the morning, come home, go back again, 10 the following morning, there till two in the morning again. And we, we had this stretch of like 13 days like that where we wrote sort of 10 songs. Is this in a studio? Um, Sorry. In, in Sydney, in- yeah, in Australia. So she was back over Christmas. Um, so, I mean, much harder than I work now. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, and, and then she took the songs with her back to, to London. And so she'd, she'd already had a a solo deal and then she'd stopped doing that. And then had kind of, you know, in her own words, given up on music. And then she joined zero seven and was singing with zero seven. And that, you know, led to her getting another solo deal. So this, she was working on that first record for her deal with Go Beat, um, and so of those 10 songs we wrote, six of them ended up going on the record, which was Colour the Small One. Um, and then she was like, well, you have to come play bass on it. So I came over to London to play bass on it and met some really key people who are still part of my life today and really have helped me through my, you know, so Jimmy Hogarth was the producer on that record who, you know, he's next door now in the studio next door to me and um, is one, you know, one of my closest friends and, it's been a huge help, you know, through my time here. But, yeah, I came over to play on this record and I'd reached a point in Sydney as well. I was like, okay, I feel like it's, it's, you know, I was busy and I was doing things, but there was very much a ceiling on what you could do there, yeah. especially if you're going to be a collaborator. Your, your opportunities are limited to us who you can actually get to collaborate with. And obviously, you know, Back then as well. I mean, the internet existed, but it wasn't, everything wasn't as kind of open as it is now. It was like very much that's an island on the other side of the planet. And I had friends and bands who had absolutely smashed it there, but like people over here or in the States just wouldn't, weren't even on the radar. Um, and I was single and, you know, still reasonably young. I was like, you know what, now's a, a good time to kind of maybe look at spending a couple of years in London and just seeing mm. what happens. And so I, and off the back of my songs and that record, I was able to sign a publishing deal, um, which gave me a bit of money to kind of get set up for the first couple of years and know that rent was taken care of and I could just start writing and working here. And, and yeah, that was, that was, so, yeah, 17 and a bit years ago now. So... So it, yeah, it was, it was, 
it was really hard. I mean, with songwriting, especially it's, as a career, it, you can take, you can write something. It might be th- three years before a the song even comes out, and b before you know if it's done anything or if you've kind of you know. So there were those first few years. Was, there was a lot of like just casting out seeds into the soil and like hoping that a few would sprout out eventually. And um, and at the same time, I guess I was lucky in that I'd also had the bass side of things where I could like, you know, I, I would go on tour with Sia. So we'd work writing the record together, you know, and then I'd go out as her bass player and MD. And so it was a nice... I was in a cycle of that for a good few years. I like would work on a records. I'd do some other writing sessions as well whilst I was in London, but then I'd go away for six months, eight months a year on and off, which was great, but it also meant I wasn't really cultivating my writing side here as much and getting as, as much of a, a foothold here as I probably could have. But I, I don't know. I don't mind because it was, A, I was with working with my friends and, and getting a tour and, and all the rest of it, but B, when it felt like I was like, yes, it's, you know, it's Celia's project, it's her thing, but, you, you know, she made you feel like you were very much part of the band, you know, and especially if you're involved with the writing side, it wasn't just like going to be someone's bass player. It's like, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah. I, it And then I guess just naturally, you know, I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'm sort of done with touring now. Um, and just wanting to start a family and, and just be in London more and focus more on the studio stuff. And I guess I'd made that decision. And then I got a call from a friend of mine, Tim Vanderkal, who's a great guitarist. He was like, I'm going down to audition for this artist, Adele. Um, you know, she's looking for a new bass player. Do you want to come? And so 19 had come out and done great, obviously. Um, and I'd seen her sing maybe six months prior to being asked to come and audition at the Mercury Prize mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, my God, who is this? This is un- it was just her and her acoustic guitar, you know. Um, and, I think, and as everyone else in the room was at that moment, it was just like, oh, this is just insane. Who is this person? Um, so I thought, all right, you know what? She's clearly awesome. I'll go down do the audition, even though I kind of reconciled in my head, it's like, I'm not, don't want to tour anymore, but like, yeah. okay, let's just go. Went to, you know, <clears throat> went to the audition. It was like, here's this song rolling in the deep. Um, and there was another song off the record that off 21, which hadn't been released at that point. And went and played, went great. She was clearly, um, you know, amazing. And at that point, the, two, the commitment was like, this is just going to be six to eight weeks of promotion. So, like, going to America to do the TV show, like Letterman and things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, the fun stuff, like, you know. Um, so, like, all right, let's do that. Let's do that and see what happens. And then, you know, about halfway into that six, eight-week period, the Brits happened where she sang someone like you and then all this, you know, and then all of a sudden she was, like, the biggest star in the world. And it was like, well, I guess I'm not going anywhere now. <laughs> Um, and then it was, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing sort of, you know, two years on and off of touring and, you know, she had vocal cord surgery sort of in the middle of that time. So there was some time out and then going back and redoing gigs that we couldn't fulfill the first time, but it was such an amazing experience and so great to kind of 
see that, you know, her go from being a successful artist to like the, you know, biggest artist on the planet at that time. It was just so incredible seeing that happen from the stage as well, seeing the audiences change, mm-hmm. seeing, their, seeing her change as far as like her confidence and as a performer and like it was it was so amazing. Um so I'm glad I went to that audition, you know. It was a yeah, one. glad he called. Did he get the gig as well? He did. Yeah, okay. that would have sucked. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but these things happen, right? It's like thanks for that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that would have sucked. No, he he um yeah, he's still he's the MD or he was the MD on the on the 25 tour a couple of years ago. So he's he's definitely still in there. Um and you wrote with Adele it, as well. Yes, yeah. Um and I mean that that was a completely unexpected bonus of of the whole thing was like you know Adele she, you know she knew that I did right and and she knew the records that I worked on with Sear and and Christina Aguilera and so on and you know she, and obviously she knew I would like kill for the opportunity to kind of you know but I could never you know that had to come from her I could never show up the dressing room with a guitar and be like, hey, look at these chords, do you like this? It's so, you know, uh, it's just so uncool. But, yeah, she was incredibly generous and, you know, I was just so lucky that, yeah, she wanted to have a go and we, I was just really lucky that we were in together on a day where she had something that she really wanted to write about and we got something and, and you know, I... Again, though, it's like, you know, we hung out, we had sushi, we kind of, you know, anything could have happened, but we just happened to get a song and and it could have been any other day and we might have ended up with nothing. But, um, and, yeah, amazingly, the song made made the album as well, the last record. So, um, which, you know, is just, you know, obviously life-changing for me. Um, and, yeah, uh, Again, I'm glad I went to that audition, you know. Um, but also I, I just think, you know, I yeah, it just I've just been so lucky like that with people I've met and have managed to become friends with and so on. I think, you know, your you you know, you've you, your talent you we're all rely on our talent to a certain extent, but then there's so much kind of luck and good fortune and and being be it, be it artists, be it managers, be it you know mentors, be it whoever you meet in your life, creative life, you know those those connections are so important and open up so many opportunities that might kind of never happen otherwise. And and, it's, and it sounds cheesy, but it's like I think it's quite so important as well. Like if you're in a position where you can help someone as well, that you feel really like wow, I could, this person has got you know I can really help this person get somewhere or, or not get somewhere, but like sh- get get them going or or I think that's so important to kind of nurture that side of your um, career as well. Like when you get to a point where you can, because I, I there I don't know, it's all this big symbiotic rolling mass of you know life. I think and and. I don't know. Yeah, don't be an asshole, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know? and a couple of things from that that interest me is like you, you mentioned you might write a song and it might be years before anything happens with it. Mm. So I kind of wonder, I've asked different types of writers this. Would you be able to say like what percentage of songs that you've written have never seen the light of day? Oh, my God. Dude, it's like 
we're, you know, so where I am in West London, where my studio is, you know, there's like five or six other kind of writer producers here. Okay. And often, you know, we'll, you know, not the last year because we haven't been here that much, obviously, but usually it's like, you know, the joke is like, oh, we finished a song. Great. Cast it off into the void. There it goes. See what happens. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there's hard drives of stuff that never got finished or kind of, you know, just never went anywhere. But I, I've gotten better over the last few years of being quite bullish in that if I think something is really good and it's been ignored by the artist or there's an element of it and it didn't work for that artist or they went into it, just actually being like, if something is really sticking with me, they're like, no, I think that's good. Like actually just persevering yourself and finishing it to the point where you're like, okay, that sounds like it's something now. Um, which I did a couple of times through the lockdown, actually. We just went through the hard drives. Like, that is really good. That could be something. And in, sure enough, you know, got it to the artist who wasn't expecting it. And they're like, oh, wow, what's this? You know, like, and then it got used. So uh, I think you've got to listen to your gut there. But uh, so in that regard, like, strike rate-wise, I feel like mine is actually pretty good at the moment, but only because I'm not doing that much. I feel like the stuff I'm doing and saying yes to is pretty much with people that I've already worked with a lot that are working on an album with a, a release coming up. So I feel like that's hedged the odds. They need the songs, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's kind of it's made that a little bit better. But things being normal and just doing writing sessions, I mean. Yeah, countless, countless songs that just never got released or no one heard or, you know. But it's so funny, like, you know, talking to even different, you know, publishers or A&R people. Like I know publishers who have like will have songs on their phone or whatever that never got released. But like, I love this song. This is an incredible song. It's like, why, you know, and it wasn't in their power to release it. You know, yeah. it's it's up to the artist. They, the artist just doesn't decide it's right for the project at that time, and they just move on. And like, it's so. If that's if that's the thing about being, if you're not the artist, if you're a cog in the machine, it's not up to you. It's like you know, and the artist could finish an entire record and go, you know what, I'm doing something else now. It's not right. I'm kind of you know, and that's that's just the nature of it. And you can't get tied up in it. But I do think, like I said, if if there's something is really, really feel super strongly about something and if you think it's, it's got, you know, there's something there, I th- it's always worth finishing it to a point where you're like, okay, and then not pestering the person but being like resubmitting it or just like gently yeah. putting it under their nose. Think about again, this but, one again. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good, uh, yeah. you know, because sometimes it does, not that you're an outside eye because you co-wrote it, but having a slight remove from it, I suppose, is is important sometimes isn't it because you say sometimes i guess it's about how it's going to fit on an album or it's like like i don't know if it's an element of like this is really good but i just don't see how i'm going to sing it or how it's going to suit me which is a co-write you don't really have to think about that i suppose do you it's just it's a song yeah no totally and the artist is looking at like like you said the entire album do these songs all like connect with each other do they all make sense to what they want the narrative to be for the record does it suit what the visual aspect is for that project, you know, like it's, there's so many elements just out of our control. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah, there's, yeah. Don't, don't write a song expecting it to be cut. 
would be my advice. Just like I was saying before, it's all part of the journey to the ones that do, I think, you know, and all, they all kind of feed into each other. And is it the case that it's not always the ones you'd think? Like, the, you know, the thing that you think would be really great and really successful isn't necessarily. And then the one that... Oh, my God. One yeah. that was just a piece of, of work suddenly ends up on someone's album and it's... Yeah. 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 It, that's often the way. Often. The, it's usually the ones you're like, oh, my God, this is it. We've done it. We've done oh. it. It's like, and there's just tumbleweeds. You know, um, yeah, again, there's no legislating for those moments where stuff actually clicks and happens, you know. But, yeah, it's like we said before, it's just got to be just about the process and doing it and having fun and I think hopefully you get a few little moments along the way where stuff clicks. And I'm interested as well, the, the point you're at now, how do these relationships start? I think you mentioned that you're working a lot with people that you've been working with in the past because you can't get in the room with people or whatever. But if yeah. there's, there's going to be new relationships, are people approaching you? Is it the publishers, the record labels? Yeah. How does that kind of work? It's a mix of um, – so invariably, you know, if there's an artist I've worked with a lot, usually their manager would manage other artists as well. So if they think I might be a good fit for this newer artist, that that introduction might come that way. Um it might come through my publisher who will send, you know, regularly send demos of new artists that they're either looking at signing or that are kind of doing the sort of the rounds. Um, and then if there's something in there that I feel like, oh, wow, that's exciting, then I'll be like, yes, you know, let's, let's try and get something happening. Um, or more often than not, um, again, pre-lockdown, the best thing about being at this studio setup is there's five or six other like-minded people here doing the same sort of thing. So you'd go to the kitchen and John will be sitting there with the artist he's working with that day and you just get chatting, have a couple of tips. Like, well, we should try something sometimes. I'm like, sure. And, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know, because I feel like at that point the ice has been broken. You've kind of met. Yeah. You've, you know, they've worked out you're not going to, you know, you're not a psychopath or whatever, and and you you'd actually be okay to spend five hours in a small room with you know, um, but it is largely personal connections. It's like, and and through avenues that kind of had already existed, be it through managers you worked with before, or you know, um, your publisher. It's interesting, but yeah, it's I you know I'm always. I'm, I'm up. I'm up. If I'm if if something if I hear it as, as an artist and I'm excited by it, I don't care what level of their career at. If it's something that's genuinely exciting, I'm I'm up for it. Like because you know the chances these days, the chances of that actually clicking and doing something are pretty much the same as like an established artist already doing something. I think it's it sounds crazy, but I do think it's true. Like. A, you know, and you, the thought of being attached to something that you've helped develop and kind of nurture and, and be a part of that is is really exciting as well to me. I, I, I think that's a really and an, such an important part of what we do as well. Like, cool. You know, I don't know. You can't if you're just trying to get in with A-listers all the time. A, you're going to be not doing much. And, and B, if there's no guarantee that those records would do anything anyway. You know, it's 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 a it's just a different world now. You'd kind of answered this earlier, I think, but I'm just interested. Writing as a bass player, does that mean you've had points where it's like I've written a hook? This is you know, and then that's the basis of something. 
<laughs> the basis. <laughs> or would <laughs> it would it literally be like what am I trying to say? Like, do you write songs on bass? I suppose is what no. I'm saying. Yeah. So no. it'd be guitar. I, I, I maybe like two or three songs. I'm trying to think. A song called Clap Your Hands with Sia, mm-hmm. which I think started with the beat and the bass line. Maybe, maybe a couple of Jacks have already things. But more often than not, it's like at the piano or, or guitar. Um, just, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I love coming up with the bass line first, but I feel like, you know, just invariably with the type of artists I've been working with, it's not. And also bass lines kind of were weirdly not a thing for a while, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like they're, they're sort of, they're making a bit of a comeback, the bass line. But um, just from a, a, a writing point of view, I think it's much more exciting for the, the, the other writer or the non-instrumentalist in the room to be actually hearing some fleshed out, harmony as opposed to just like another one bites the dust (laughs) (laughs) that's an interesting point actually does it tend to be then a singer lyricist that you're working with and you're Mm. doing the for want of a better word the music yeah yeah i reckon i reckon it's probably 95 percent of the time is like that you know someone like jack severity who i work with a lot is, is clearly a great guitarist pretty good piano player too so sometimes with him i actually end up being more of a lyricist and just sitting there and not actually touching anything, you know, and then maybe jumping on and like pushing things in a slightly different direction. But um, more often than not, uh, a lot of artists I work with, they'll sort of, you know, have their pen and paper or phone or whatever and and be very much focusing on the melody and the sort of Mm. lyrical content. And I'll be giving them kind of harmonic information that hopefully is inspiring and not boring them to death. but yeah, it's yeah, it does vary. It does vary, but more often than not, it's yeah. I, I mean, with someone who's more focused on the sort of melodic and lyrical aspect. And is it best if someone comes in with an idea already? So, like, they've got a, a lyrical idea or a hook or whatever, or is starting completely from scratch? I, I, again, I feel like ninety-five at least percent of the time, it's starting from scratch mm, here in, in London. Like when I've when I've done bits in Nashville. It's a lot more common for someone to be like, I've got this idea, this concept, and they'll have like, you know, a memo on their phone with like all of these different notes they've already got prepared. It's like, I've had this sitting for a while. I think this could be a good one. And it's like, you know, boss, you're away. Whereas, you know, sessions here can be, that's the trick. If there's no idea to start with, it's often you'll find, oh, I like that bit of music. That melody works really well someone's kind of sung some gibberish over the top of it. I kind of heard a phrase in there. It could be that. And then so, oh, then it's about this because that, you know, and then then you're away. If you found your meaning about a third of the way into what the song is, you know, mm-hmm. rather than like today's concept is Bosch. So which does happen, but I find I feel like that's more of a um, a Nashville, like we've got three hours and this person's doing two sessions that day and, um, which is cool. I like both. I like both. Both are kind of, you know, but yeah, you, you, what is tricky is like if you're doing it without the idea and you're six hours in and you've got the melody for both the chorus and the verses and everything's there, but you still have no idea what your story is. That's kind of like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and so and that's why, you know, I, I, why I really like working with like, 
I don't know, someone like Sia, you know, especially with the, the records, the earlier stuff that I did with her, she's so like, it's like you're reading her diary or her inner dialogue or something, you know, it's just so kind of just such an amazing storyteller. And someone, I think some, when someone writes from experience, the song just ends up being so much more believable and the chance of it resonating with someone is so much higher because there's, there's bound to be someone out there who's had a similar experience or, or has lived a similar moment. And I don't know, I feel like you're already ahead in the connection game if you've managed to get that sense of like reality in the song as opposed to like, I don't know, a more of a, f- you know, a fiction based sort of world, but you know, every, yeah. I don't know. Work with work with damaged people. I think is the, the trick there, like <laughs> which we also call musicians. So that, that yeah. kind of works. That. Yeah, it's like pretty much everyone I know, myself <laughs> included. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like yeah. I think songs are amazing when someone's actually telling something about themselves. Yeah, through, you know. Yeah, which is obvious, but you know. which leads actually on to yet another question because it just made me think of one. Um, that's when you're working with someone who's going to be the artist. So, like, they're going to perform it and sing it. Yes. Have you had yeah. experiences where you're two writers writing for someone else? And then does that provide a slightly different thing in terms of it's not going to be them singing it, it's got to be someone else's? Yeah, way. I mean, that does that does happen. I mean, but it's, you know, it, it is that is actually changing a little bit now because for a long time managers of artists were, like, adamant that their artists being in the room so they would have a stake in the the publishing side of things, but that that does seem to be changing a little bit at the moment and people seem to be accepting outside songs Mm. more again. Um, But I, you know, I've always felt like, you know, getting a song cut is like buying a lottery ticket anyway. Getting a song cut by an artist that doesn't even know who you are and wasn't in the room when you wrote the song is just even more of a kind of crapshoot, you know. Like, And I think... um, in some worlds, it makes like in the country world and Nashville and so on, it happens a lot more um, because that's been a tradition for decades and that's kind of, you know, um, where I've had songs cut by artists that I didn't write them with, it's been because there was a demand for songs that the other, so, so Sia songs, you know, there was a moment there was like, have you got any spare Sia songs? And it's like, you know, the people were wanting them. So that was because of whatever currency she had as an artist and a writer, people were just looking for that stuff. So, um, oh yeah, that's, that's when I've, I've found songs I've written that weren't cut by the artist will get, it's because there was like an interest in that artist already. And that's a foot in the door almost of like, Oh, X did this. So, you know, you should have a go at it. But yeah, uh, that world is, it's different. I think if I was a country writer, or I think my my outlook on it would be very different because I think that's your that's lion's share of your work is just writing songs every day to give to your publisher who then going to pitch them to people. But I, I feel like if you're in the room of the artist, who they then have a vested interest in the song, they've been part of the process. You've hopefully helped them express something that they've been trying to express or wanted to express. Yeah, hopefully that means there's a, a chance of that song actually getting realised as opposed to, you know, casting them into the void, as I said before. <laughs> Great. Okay, Sam, that's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for taking the time to chat to me. I feel like I've learned a lot. There. My pleasure. 
That's great. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. Until then, please subscribe, rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.